In this episode, we sit down with longtime launch member, Charles Crumpo, where we go through the history of Vancouver Tech, starting from the early 90s all the way to Web3 nowadays. It's, it's a long ride, so sit back and have a great listen. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Launch AMA. I'm your host, Sam. Joined to me today is Charles of Railtown. Welcome, Charles. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Let's just kick things off. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourselves? We have a live audience here. Um, they're going to be able to ask you anything. So maybe just give them a little taste to start things off. Okay. Um, well, I've been in tech for over 25 years. It might be 30 years, a uh, long time. I'm, I'm old. Um, we, we don't count the COVID years, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it depends like where you start counting it. Um, but uh, so, I mean, my, you know, I, I, I was interested in, let's say computers, for example, because, um, you know, from an early age, but I didn't really get into it until I was in my late teenage years. And uh, initially, I was a self-taught programmer, which means that I read books and magazines to learn how to program. Um, this, this is before the internet was really a thing. Um, when I went to university, I initially took mathematics. Um, I did a lot of math. Like I was in fourth year math, but I, I started doing computers for fun, computer science. And um, eventually, I, um, you know, I started doing a lot of that, and I kind of graduated. I had both computer science and mathematics. But before I left university, I, I tried creating my first company. Um, this is back in the uh, 1990s. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I, I lost about $20,000 at the time of my own money. Um, that was worth a lot more back you know, in the 1990s. Um, I don't know what's that now, probably like 40000 or 80000 or something like that. Um, that was my first attempt. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, later on, I graduated and worked a bit. Um, I eventually uh, tried another company. and. Um, Again, didn't know what I was doing. This was in uh, movie special effects. Uh, my third company was my first successful company. Um, and uh, that one was a consulting company. It just kind of worked out. I didn't expect it to. Like I, I started off just kind of fixing people's computers, and it turned into an IT support company, which eventually turned into a software consulting company. And I went and found different niches in different industries and just kind of focused on those. Uh, by the way, do you want me to go this deep, or do you want me to? Absolutely. Okay, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been doing this for a while, so I'm probably going to forget some stuff. Um, I'll see what happened after that. Um, after that, uh, I think I ended up being involved with what ended up being the first ad network. So, you know, like around this time, uh, the internet became a mainstream thing and the web also, right? Like prior to that, you know, it was just kind of universities using it, the military. Um, but this is like in the late 1990s, early 2000s, regular people started using the internet and, with that, ads started popping up. And prior to this, if you wanted to place an ad on the internet, you have to call up the person with the website and say, hey, I want to put an ad on your website. And they would manually print that, like, you know, go and edit the HTML, stick in an image, give the link and all that stuff. And as far as I know, I mean, there might have been someone else, but as far as I know, like, we were the first ones to make it so that you could sign up for an account, stick in a credit card, compete with others in a bidding situation, and get your ad automatically placed on different people's sites. And we gave them, like, uh, like JavaScript code that they can put on their site that uh, deals with the placement. And um, we did that for a while. We were the first one. Uh, eventually, other people started copying us. Google got on the game eventually. Um, Google was like fierce competition for us. Um, what happens though is that, uh, so for us, we were putting ads on different people's sites. And 
that's fine. But like when someone's on a site, I mean, they're not necessarily interested in buying something at that moment, right? So, you know, the cur- conversion rates, I think were something like, you know, a 10th of a percent, like 0.1%, something like that. And then Google came out and when people wanted to find stuff like, hey, I want to buy, I don't know, a jacket. I want to buy a car or whatever. They go into Google and they typed it, right? Like they, they told Google what they want. And because of, because like we never got access to that data, like they did just because of their search engine, their conversion rate, I think was something like more like, you know, 0.4%, right? So it's still small. Like both are less than 1%, but they had four times the conversion rate of us, right? Like think if your revenue, your front, sorry, your profit was times by four, right? It's, it's huge, right? Um, anyways, um, that technology eventually through a long, through a chain of purchases got acquired by Microsoft. And then uh, Microsoft eventually, that became part of Microsoft ads. And then Microsoft ads sold that over to, uh, to Facebook and became part of Facebook ads. I have no idea whether the technology I made is, is working or not or sorry, not working on it, it's still being used or not. might've been rewritten, um, but it was, it, was, it was part of that. Um, for, for the people who have more of like a technical background, an ad network's basically a distributed reinforcement learning system. Reinforcement is a type of AI. Um, really interesting to create. I had to figure out how to do it. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, um, but it was interesting to create. Um, after that, um, I started doing some consulting. Um, I did it in the real estate industry and uh, some other places. Um, but I also, this is when blogging first started. And um, so blo- like blogging had been around for a while. Um, the name wasn't blogging initially. It was, there was like competing names for it. There was like web journals, web diaries, web logs, not blog, log. Um, and then at one point, web log kind of caught on. And then someone showed that to blog, which is just bizarre because it's like the last letter of web and then log. Um, but it caught on and now people call them blogs nowadays. Um, around this time, there was one software that was in the right place at the right time, WordPress. And um, a lot of people wanted to make WordPress either look like their existing site or they wanted to make it look like, um, uh, what's it called, uh, like some design they created. And like, like this is the time, like it was like, I don't know if you, if you roll back a bit before this, like when the web started taking off, everyone in their pet cat wanted to have a website, right? At this yeah. point, everyone in their pet cat wanted to have a blog, right? Like it's like these hype cycles, like just happen over and over again in the industry. Like right now, I think like the hype is around NFTs. Right. And I mean, people will complain, like, you know, there's a lot of kind of like scammers and stuff. There was like, there were scammers with the web, right? Like, like pets.com, for example, right. Tons of scammers, but guess what? The web's still here. It's still useful. Right. Same thing with like things like NFTs, right? Like, yeah, there's like, like people there, they're just trying to like make a quick buck, but there are actual like use cases there that'll persist. Um, anyways, um, I was selling people shovels at the time. And what I found is that, um, like literal shovels is not a, not a synonym. Metaphorically. I mean, the metaphor is that, you know, don't (laughs) go like, you know, when they had people like, you know, in the the Western America, Western North America, they were uh, searching for gold, right? Some people went and dug, you know, dug for gold. They tried to mine, they find, try to find gold. Some people made money off selling these people shovels, right? I wasn't trying to create a blog. I was, I was basically selling them shovels. I was, these people wanted to, uh, theme their, uh, blogs. So I was like, well, I can do that. Right. So I figured out how to do it. And I started doing my, like, I, I, I set up a website, I SEO'd it, I bought ads. I tried to see, okay, like, can I, is there business here? Right. What I found is there's actually quite a lot. And, um, at first I did it. Then I, I got a partner of mine to uh, help me and I, I dealt with the product end and, you know, customer relationship. And he dealt with doing the kind of front end stuff. And then eventually we started hiring people, right. That lasted for a while. And then other people noticed they created similar sites. They drove up the ad price a lot and it became unprofitable for me. 
So I pulled out. Um, let's see what happened after that. <laughs> um, we're in, oh, we're God, at about I'm, 2008 right now, right? So we're. Uh, I don't. We're I don't. I don't right hit the boom. Yeah, I mean something like that. I mean the, the problem is like some of this is a long time ago, so I, it's I don't like it's just like I, I kind of like forget like what order things happen in. Um, <laughs> I, I think after that, what happened is that I, I created another company, um, 49 Research. And uh, we, we focused like it was, it was like a general uh, consulting company, but we we're also looking at creating a P2P insurance application. And that company was kind of a victim of its own success. Like um, we got so much consulting business, we never had time to focus on our product. And I mean, we, we had like different customers, like we had uh, Petro Canada was, for example, like, I mean, if you want famous ones, like there are famous ones, there's a lot of smaller ones you've probably never heard of um, at the time because we had ad network expertise. We also, so Facebook eventually created their own ad network and didn't let anyone else do it. But before that happened, there was, I think, five ad networks that were running for games on Facebook, like third parties. We created one of them. I'm not going to say which one because I, I have an NDA, but I'll just say like we created one of them. Um, so, I mean, like those are kind of like some of the interesting stuff. But I mean, it was like whatever people wanted. I mean, like we created stuff for the BC Lottery Corporation. We created, you know, just boring stuff like accounting things. It's like whatever kind of people paid for us. Um, that was my second consulting company. I, I had one before, like I mentioned. Um, cause lots of companies like you can do them, but they're, they're, they're hard in certain way. Like when you have a lot of projects, it's great. Like, you know, it's you, it's your employees. And then all of a sudden like a project finishes and like, Oh crap, I gotta go find work for these people. And until you get to the size where you can afford to have salesmen on staff, good salesmen that can line up projects. Like, it's just like, you know, it's like feast or famine, right? Like everything is great. So, oh crap, I gotta go find like more work or I'll have to lay off people. Then you find that, oh, everything's great. Everything's great. Then, you know, um, after, so after that, like actually something in my personal life happens. Uh, my mother um, has some health problems. And um, without going into the details, like I ended up like caring for her for a while. And I need to like slow down. And what happened, my, my slow down, I mean, slow down is like if you're working 80 hours a week, like going down to 40 is like slowing down, right? Um, but I ended up joining uh, Hootsuite after that. Um, a friend of mine, oh, I, I forgot something. Huh? Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll skip over that. Like this is how I know the people at Hootsuite. I, actually, there was a, oil and gas startup I kind of forgot a while ago uh, called Navrick. Um, but uh, what happened though is after I left Fortnite Research, um, a friend of mine who, uh, I think he was a junior engineer back there, like he used to sit next to me at this oil and gas startup I, I was involved with. And um, he found out they laughing. He's like, oh, why don't you come join Hootsuite? I, I don't think it's, it might have not been called Hootsuite, so it might've been Bright Kid. That was his original name. And then uh, I went there and you know I spent time, like I was able to like kind of care for my mother uh, at the time. And, um, I did that for a while and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it, it was back when Hootsuite was a startup, like Hootsuite was a project uh, of Invoke, Invoke Media and Hootsuite was in the back room. There, there was like a large back room and it wasn't even full. It was like, you know, just a little, we were in the corner and, um, it, it truly was a startup there, right? Like there was nothing built. And, um, I mean like the main, like Bear Kai is a uh, major computer. Like I, I think a lot of people don't appreciate just how much of Hootsuite success is due to Bear, right? Like Hootsuite was built off his back. Um, and I don't, I don't think he has public recognition for that and he should. Um, but I mean, other major contributors like Bill Monkman came here and he was also another uh, Navic person, uh, Jeremy Pierre, uh, he was focused on mobile. And then when I joined, I just started doing a lot. Um, I'm much older than Bear. And I just like, Bear was kind of at that point, like focused on, like helping people, right? Because the team got large enough where he had to be involved with kind of doing that. Um, I mean, Hootsuite grew, grew to be like quite successful. Um, 
you know, like just for context for those that don't recognize Hootsuite, could you give us just a brief explanation of what Hootsuite is? Yes. I mean, like I was mentioning before, the industry goes through kind of these booms where something gets super popular for different reasons. I I think some of it's like architected, like through marketing or propaganda. I mean, marketing is propaganda um, or whatever you want to call it, right? Like all of a sudden TechCrunch, Mashable, and like everyone's pet cat is talking about something. It's like, well, how did that happen? It's like, well, it was engineered. Um, but at that time, what happens, the boom was around social media, right? And things that like in retrospect would be called social media did exist before that. But things like Twitter boomed, right? Facebook boomed and uh, other ones boomed. And um, Hootsuite was a tool for people to like manage this. And the genesis of it, um, if, I, if I remember it correctly, and this is a little before my time, right? Before I joined, but um, uh, there was... Uh, a woman there, and I, I can't remember her name right now, and I, I should. And she, if she hears this, she's gonna like, be really upset. Um, so she was, uh, she was having to log in, like they were dealing with customers' accounts for marketing, right? She was having to log into uh, multiple people's accounts, and you know, she'd log in, do a post, log out, log into someone else's, log out, and she was like, "I wish I didn't have to log into these things over and over again because it's such a drain, right?" And someone, I don't know if it was her or Ryan or someone, asked Bear, like, "Hey, could you make me a tool to?" kind of make this easier, right? And that's that's kind of the um, the genesis of uh, Hootsuite, right? But it was called BrightKit back then. And it was a tool to let you deal manage like social media. And what ended up happening is, uh, I mean, some regular people like me used it, but there was also um, a lot of people who do customer support that used it, right? Like say someone tweets about your company. And I, I think the, the famous example of this happening first was there was, I think a guy in Texas and he had a Twitter account. And when he noticed someone complaining about like, like say their cable wasn't working in Texas, right? He would go help them right on Twitter. It wouldn't be like through their like, you know, you know, like ancient, slow, annoying, like customer, you know, relationship management software. He just went and helped people, right? And that, I think a lot of people noticed that and they started engaging people on Twitter, right? Like as being a customer support platform and Hootsuite started being used that way because it has, for example, has ticketing. Right. Like you can have a company with a team and you don't have to give everyone the passwords to Twitter. You can like manage it through Hootsuite. And if someone notices like there's a tweet about the company, they like there's a place where they can note it and then they can assign someone on the team to go like help them and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at one point, I think they were also trying to be like a Salesforce like tool, but social media. Um, I don't know how well they did at that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Hootsuite did quite successful. They, they have the freemium model. So, you know, it's it's similar to shareware. It's also similar to like open source. Like you give something away to free to uh, get paying customers, right? And the paying customers pay for the free ones too. So they have free accounts you can join, and then you can upgrade to a pro account. Um, I don't know how much that costs. It was originally five bucks. Eventually went up to ten bucks, which like almost doubled the revenue when they did that. But nobody seemed to care. Um, the users didn't mind. Um, and then like you get certain extra features, and then if you want more things, you can. Um, like pay extra, like say you want an extra report, you pay an extra, I don't know, five bucks or 10 bucks a month. And there are, there are people who pay like, like quite a bit uh, for the pro accounts. Um, and then there's an enterprise account, which I think is a five figure amount. If I know it, correct, remember it correctly. Um, this is, this is sort of like, like, you know, if you're IBM or your electronic arts mm-hmm. or something like to cut to an enterprise, like, like I'm, I'm, it's not $10,000, but let's say it's $10,000, right? Enterprise doesn't care about $10,000, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things about enterprises. Like, they will pay a lot. And sometimes they, they won't even engage with you if your price is too low because they think you're a one-man show and that you might not be here in six months when we need you, right? Like, for example, like 
like say, uh, and I'm, I'm mentioning this example because I have a friend, I'm thinking of a friend right now. Let's say you're a UX designer and you quote them at $2,000. They might not do business with you. Like they're too small. Like we need someone who's reliable, who can do work whenever we want it. And it's going to be around two years from now. Right. Like you'd be probably better off like quoting them $10,000 or something like that. Of course, they'll, they'll probably like try to vet you if they're smart to see like, is it really one person or is it many people? Um, anyways, um, is that, is that a good, good enough explanation of who's what you want to go to? Like, I mean, they, they cover like a lot probably. of social media. Like, eventually like added, uh, actually, I think I added Facebook and I think I added, uh, I did a lot of them. Like, like Bear did Hoots Twitter and Bill did Google Plus when that was a thing. And I might've done the rest. I think LinkedIn and, and yeah, I, I definitely think square was on there for a little bit. Um, yeah, but some of some of them were apps like they, they also like, I made I made the app, uh, the technology to add apps. Hey listener, I hope you're enjoying this episode of launch AMA so far. If you would like to attend these chats live, ask questions directly to the presenters and be part of the show, you can sign up for our program launchpad. You can learn more about launchpad and what we do at launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. All right, let's get back to the episode. I mean, I, I don't, I didn't create all the apps. I mean, those are, a lot of them are third parties. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I haven't been there in a while, right? So I mean, like it's changed a lot. Like when I was there, it was a startup and I have friends who stayed there and they like, you know, as the company grows the culture, like there's a qualitative change. It's not just quantitative. It's not just like more of whatever you had. It's qualitatively changes. And I remember a friend of mine, uh, Gavin, he mentioned that, he felt that Hootsuite changed five times. There was like a, like a major qualitative change. Um, and I, I mean, I've, I've gone through this stuff with companies. Um, if, if you're in the C-suite, like sometimes it's not that bad. Um, but sometimes if you're in the, uh, you're not in the C-suite, like you're below that, it can af- sometimes affect you in negative ways. Um, sometimes. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. It just depends on how things work out. Um, anything else you want to know about Hootsuite? No, I, th- I think we're, I think we're, we're good on Hootsuite. I think, I think the context is here, like in in probably around the time Hootsuite was formed, there was a a lot of these kind of social media apps and tools coming out. I think Hootsuite was one of the early success stories of the 2010s of Vancouver Tech. Um, yeah. They were, and big reason they were able to branch out for that was because they kind of shifted from that that B 2 C to the B 2 B model. I think um, outside looking yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, I and, mean, and but, but go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go. Ahead. Well, I was gonna say like. With with uh, so I mean one one thing with companies like, okay, say say you have a product and you you're like you have like non enterprises right like you probably have some month to month thing right, and I mean Hootsuite also experienced this but like a lot of companies do you can make a lot of money off of um like that kind of model like smaller kind of customers like like you know like they may pay like somewhere between five bucks to like two thousand bucks a month month to month they can leave whenever they want right um the the problem with that is that they can leave whenever they want, right? If you get a competitor, like a sexy competitor to come out, like you could lose like a lot of your business. And what a lot of people want is they want enterprise, like partly because the numbers are bigger, like, and especially if you, have, if you have a sales force, you don't have to, like you get one, you land one big customer, right? It might take a year, right? Like not like the, the kind of like the regular people, but once you get them, it's, it's a large amount, like just on a regular basis. <clears throat> um, a lot of these enterprises, um, they will pay for a year, Right. So you can lock them for a year and you also have a sense when they're going to leave. Right. Because let's say they have a year contract and it's month 10 in their contract. You can send a salesperson there to try to renew the contract, to do whatever it takes to renew it. And if you can't, you can then sell, send salespeople to get other enterprises. Right. So that way you have more predictable um, revenue. Another thing about um, a lot of enterprises, like a lot of these guys, like depending on what it is, 
um, when they make a decision to have a technology in as part of their uh, like internal tools, often you're there for like at least ten years, right? They don't they don't like sometimes there's other things like a new director or VP or C level comes in and they they throw out a bunch of stuff, but it, it's really hard. Like EA has this one um, CMS tool that uh, they've been trying to get sorry they've been trying to get rid of. Um, God, I don't know how long, like 15 years and they've brought in replacements and guess what? It's still there and they're still paying it. And it's, it's, it's not good and it's super expensive. And I mean, the thing is, I'm, I'm not going to specific details, but some director who, if I was above him, I would have fired him, um, brought in an even more expensive CMS. It's like, dude, you got open source CMSs, right? You don't need it. Like you really don't need it. And you should have been making that decision. Um, I'm guessing you probably got a kickback. Um, those are not uncommon in enterprises. Um, if you're on the enterprise side, you might want to watch out for it. If you're trying to make a sale, you might want to engage in it, I guess. Um, but he probably got some kind of kickback because it is a very large yearly amount that, uh, they pay. Yeah. Um, anyways, so, so uh, actually that, that brings up a good point. And, and at this point, I just want to remind everybody, like, if you guys do have questions for Charles, we're going to keep talking. Uh, we're, we're, we went from web one, we're now in web two, we're probably going to web three. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have questions, just feel free, pump them in the Q and A. Uh, I'd recommend you guys take a tech at Charles LinkedIn. He obviously he's got a wealth of experience that we're we're here learning about. Um, but I, I think you kind of hit on an interesting point because because talking about enterprise sales, I'm looking around the room live. I see a lot of B2C companies here, um, a couple of B2B. Um, but usually when you're at the startup level, you know, two to five to ten, like you're not always thinking enterprise. Can you kind of talk about, you know, whether it's from your experience at Hootsuite or other companies you worked for or built, like what, when do you recognize like what the proper market is and, and that's kind of the spot you want to go to? Yeah. So it, 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 so it depends what you're doing. Like you could be going after enterprise even when you're small, right? Like it depends mm -hmm. what your product is like. Um, okay. So I, I don't know if you remember like powered by grow, like that, that was like a company yep. here. Right. And uh, it wasn't originally, I think they had another name before, but their product is um, they were trying to help digitize banks. Right. That's yeah. straight enterprise, right? That's a straight enterprise play. And um, without, you know, giving too many details, he made a lot just off the installation fee, like the setup fee. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made a lot off the monthlies, right? So, I mean, yeah. with that particular thing, he's trying to land that. But the challenge is a lot of people don't know how to get an enterprise customer. Like that's hard, right? Like mm -hmm. you have this giant corporation with thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people. How do you get them as a customer, right? That's not easy, right? Um, some people kind of stumble onto it. Like maybe like you meet someone there and you talk to them for a while. And it's like, well, you know, we're doing this. Like, you know, you think, you know, your company would be interested. It's like, well, maybe, but like, I, I can't make a decision. Maybe you talk to my director and you talk to the director. And then this director, well, I can't make a decision. Maybe talk to my senior director and you talk to the senior director. And then, then he's like, well, I can't make a decision. Talk to my VP. And then you talk like, and then you climb the ladder and they eventually talk to the CEO, and maybe the board, if you can't, right? Um, that could take a year. Right. Like you can spend a year like just trying to find the right person to talk to. And I mean, sometimes when you're in the process, like the person you're talking to leaves. Right. It's like, oh, shit, I got to find another contact. Right. And it's, it's like, you know, like like what does what does it mean in practice? Well, you, you meet someone, you go have lunch with them regularly, you build a relationship with them. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just it just takes a lot of effort. I mean, this is part of like what gets called sales or biz dev or whatever you want to call it. Like, I, I'm not a sales guy. I'm not a biz dev guy, but. I've done this stuff just like when you're a startup, you do everything. Like, you know, like it doesn't matter what your title is. Like there's garbage 
you take it out. You got to go talk to someone, you go do it. Like you got to do like every role in a startup. Um, you, you have to be much, much more confident to make it in a startup than you do with a big company. You can hide at a big company. Like you, you could, like, have you ever seen Dilbert, like the, the, uh, the character yep. Wally never works. There's lots of Wally's in big companies, right? Like lots. There are, there are some very, very good people in big companies, but they're usually an extreme minority, like Pareto small. Um, there's a lot of people who aren't like that. And it's, it's really easy to hide there. In a small company it is brutally obvious if you can't do stuff. Like you're three people, like the two other people are really going to notice if you're not pulling your mm-hmm. own weight, but not even just pulling your weight. You're not pulling 10 times your weight, right? Um, yeah, so I mean, like the, the tough thing is that um, sometimes you know people have connections. Some of the times it's like, okay, well, you know, I went to school with this guy in the enterprise and maybe I can help them out. Um, I've also heard of another style. Um, I don't know if I should talk about this. Okay, well, I'll, I'll talk about it. You tell me to stop if you... If, if you, <laughs> okay. um, so I'll, I'll talk light and you tell me to stop at one point. So this is not me. This is definitely not my style, but uh, so one company I was involved with got a deal with Microsoft and uh, I heard stories about this. So we had a, a biz dev guy and all I know is they were at a strip bar and you, you hear the stories with like politicians and like speedboats and drugs and prostitutes. And I don't know what happens, but, and I'm not saying it was quite that, but like, I've heard lots of stories about that. Like a lot of these kind of VPs in these different companies, like um, I've heard a lot of stories, like both in government and large corporations. There are some people who respond to that apparently. Um, not saying to do that. I mean, like I've always gone the relationship approach. Um, either way, it takes time um, and money um, because you, you have to build that relationship. Um, some people do kickbacks. Um, but I mean, if, if you can talk to the right person, I mean, you know, it, the thing is like, if you can get to the CEO and that's not easy, right? Like, mm-hmm. like for example, like my LinkedIn is just, I get so many messages and I get people like, sometimes I'll notice them. I'm like, you know, like, Oh, like I, I noticed you didn't send my message. Like, you know how many messages I got in a day, like on LinkedIn, like it, it's so much, like, unless I recognize the person's name, I'm probably not going to look at it. Right. Or I'll look at it quick. And then like, if it doesn't catch my eye in two seconds, like, cause it's just too much, like, like way, way too much. Um, but if you can get a hold of the CEO, and if it's CEO who actually knows what he's doing rather than kind of, you know, is hopping between companies, you know, from company to company, just not hoping nobody notices he doesn't actually know what he's doing. Um, then, and if you've got something they actually want, you might be able to get a sale. But getting to the CEO isn't easy, especially at a big company. The, the person's like super, super busy, like super busy. And um, unless you have some kind of relationship or connection with them, it's, it's tough to chat with them. Um, mm-hmm. And there's usually one place to prevent you from getting directly to them for different reasons. Um, anyways, um, you want me to keep on going this direction or you want me to talk about something else? No, it's, it's all right. Um, but like one of the things you, you talked about was like, you know, when you're starting out, like you're that three person, it's really hard to kind of get these contacts and stuff like that. One of the other experiences that I wanted to to touch on was like, you, you were very early in, in coho, right? Like you were, I don't know if second, third person, third person, I I don't know which person. Right. Um, but, but you were very early on. What was that experience? Like, as you were kind of watching, watching, you know, the technology built and like, um, I know Dan, Dan's a good friend of ours at launch as well. Who's the CEO of Coho now. Like, was there something that you noticed he was doing or you guys were doing that, that kind of made that growth into, into, I think it's now a 300 person team. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like Hootsuite's, or sorry, uh, Coho's very successful. Um, I'm glad because I still have equity in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I still sell my shares, but I, I let like a lot of it ride. Um, so I'm, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I, like Dan's done a good job. Um, yeah. So, um, okay, so here, here's the story of Coho. Um, Coho started out uh, mm-hmm. under Stanley Park Ventures. 
So Stanley Park Ventures is, uh, they, they have different names, just like startup studio, startup builder, like whatever. But it, it's where like you have, um, usually like it's, it's people who are entrepreneurs a bit older, right? Like, like Mike Benna is uh, one of them involved. There's Jonathan Bixby, John, Joshua Bixby. They're identical twins. I can't tell the difference. Sorry, guys. Um, you guys look a lot alike. Um, but it's three of them involved. Um, I, 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 um, I talked a lot to Mike. Like he, he was the one I interact with. He also has a technical background. I, I like Mike uh, quite a bit. Um, I, I thought we got along. I don't know. Maybe he hates me or something. But um, I actually liked Mike quite a bit. Um, but they got involved. And you know, they had a program where they would bring in people who are usually young, right? And see if they, uh, you know, they they felt they were able to help that person become a CEO of some company, right? Um, it's I don't think it's a program for someone like me. Like I've, it's usually someone that's like doesn't have a lot of experience doing this. Um, maybe they've never done this before. Maybe they've tried it a few times. Um, because like what they can offer them in, in terms of support um, is different, right? Like if if you're if you've created I don't know ten companies, right? You already know this, right? Like I mean, you're you're not getting um, what they teach, you would probably already know, right? But if you, if you're somewhat younger, like Dan is, um, you know, it's 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 a good partnership, right? It's a good choice. So Dan passed, um, mm. and uh, I don't think it was actually called Coho initially. Like there there was another name, I don't remember what it is, um, and I don't know with Coho in particular, but I know usually there's they explore, you know, think from a product point of view, you kind of explore like different opportunities, and Coho was decided on, and um, I mean, like I, I guess like. A way of thinking of coho it's like kind of like canada i don't know if it was the first like it was either first or one of the first like canada's first modern mobile first online digital bank right although first yeah. we can call it bank now we can call it an e-bank or something like that right or competitor or something like that challenger bank yeah or new, new bank is, i think is the term that's yeah. allowed now um but i think the thing is like if you ask a normal person what's a bank they'll say well my paycheck goes there they give me a credit card and i can spend on it I can write checks, like, you know, whatever. That, that's a bank to normal person. And under that definition, like a regular definition, like credit union is a bank. Um, a trust is a bank, right? But like the government, like, no, no, that's not a bank. Like a bank is someone who's paid us a licensing fee, right? Like this paid us $10 million or something. And like, it's like, okay. Um, I mean, so there's a different definition between the government says the bank and what a regular person says the bank. Um, but cool. um, anyway, so Dan started this off. Um, and Mike Benna, Jonathan Bixby, Joshua Bixby, supporting him and uh he i mean he did a lot of work he should get a lot of credit for you know coho um eventually they started looking for c uh, cto um i think what they were looking for is someone that was a bit older and more experienced like i'm, I'm a lot older than um not, not as old as like mike um but uh in between <laughs> um so I, I i came in and uh i focused on the tech um like when uh when i met dan like um we, we had a conversation this is one conversation we had and um, part of it was, um, we kind of talked about who should, you know, be in charge of product, right? Cause what I found is like, um, you need it to be clearly defined. You can't just kind of let it be, you know, kind of like up in the air. We'll kind of do it together. It never works out. Um, and I've seen that over and over again, even past Coho. And, um, we, like we talked and I said, well, I, you know, I, I think you should be in charge of product. Right. And I'm gonna focus on tech. And, um, so we started doing it and Dan was the first, I, I think it's a tie for the second between me and scott bell scott bell was the ui ux person um i didn't actually see scott right away like he was kind of doing stuff part-time and then we saw him in the office eventually and in the beginning it was dan and dan we didn't even see dan for a long time because he was out raising money right 
and there was me and I was building it and Scott was designing it. In the beginning, it was just me and Scott, like mainly like building the thing. Like he would design it. I would build it. And um, like Dan would like just, he was just like, like pitching, like just pitching. And like, I've done pitching. Like it's a lot of work. I mean, you can have like a 1% convert, like uh conversion rate, right? Like you might get introduced to a hundred people. 10 of them have meetings with you and one might give you money, some of it, right? Or maybe none, right? Um, a lot, a lot of work. I mean, like, like often like CEOs don't realize that, you know, like you think you're going to be involved with like the day-to-day operation company. Like in the beginning, you probably won't be, you'll just be out there pitching. Um, so anyways, like in the beginning, that's kind of how it functioned. He was raising money and, uh, Scott and I were there. Um, eventually, um, eventually like, uh, other people joined, um, I'm sorry. Uh, let me shut my phone. Um, eventually other people, uh, joined the company. Um, and we, we started going from, uh, there. Um, do you, do you want to go into more of it? Like, do you, um, do you think there's something that you guys did, uh, whether it was in the early days or as you guys were expanding that kind of contributed to, to the success that it is today? Um, well, I can, so some of it's yes. And some of it's not clear. Right. Um, okay. So, so this, this is one thing we, we found, we discovered, because we, we had a bunch of people sign up and, okay, let me say it this way. I, I think a lot of people, not everyone, I think a lot of people, they don't want a product. I think what they want is a cause. Like they, they want something like, um, okay, with, with Coho, what it was is we asked a lot of the people who early, signed up early and um, like, why are you interested in Coho? And not everyone say the same thing, but there was a really, really common message, right? And uh, is it okay if I swear? Because I, I, I this, they, they did swear in the message. Sorry? Go for it. Okay. The message, and again, it's not me saying this. This is what I read. But the message we got from, like, we heard from people is they were saying, fuck the banks. You're not a bank. We think that we feel, I'm not saying it's true. We feel the banks are screwing us over. And you're not a bank. And we want to support you. That was the cause. Right? Mm-hmm. And if someone, you know, has that cause, like they have some kind of feeling of that, they're, you know, like, even, even if you're like, you know, you're working hard, you're a small group, you know, you, you can't make the perfect software, right? There's going to be like a lot of compromise you have to make. Cause it's like, you know, it was just me building initially. Um, and then like other people got involved, but, um, you know, they're, they're very supportive of you. They're very, uh, they're very much kind of like be there for you. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a common kind of cause in the end. Now there's only so many of those type of people. Right. And, you, you can't like, they're not enough to kind of support like even a small company. They're, they're enough to like be your kind of early adopters, but your early adopters are often passionate. So it's like, okay, well we have to find a way to become like break even and then profitable. Right. And, um, eventually what you start focusing on is just kind of like regular people, but like not everyone, right? Like if you make, if you make a product for everyone, you make it for no one, you, you have to pick someone specific, like, like different, like whether you call them archetypes or like UX people tell them, call them personas. Um, I think marketers call them segments. Like you, you need to, there's a type of person that you need to understand. Like, what are these different people like? What do they want? What do they need? What problems they have? And you need to build something that addresses those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'll give an example. Like, let's say for example, that you're a parent with um, a child who's, uh, you know, above toddler, like they're in school. Well, maybe one of your wants is I want to give my kids allowance, but I want to strict what they spend it on. I want them to spend it on uh, video games or something like that. Um, okay. Well that, that informs what features you might have in the app, right? Look, Hey, well, there's, there's like a concept of parents, a concept of children. The parents can see their children's transactions. Maybe the child can't see the parents and we can put locks controls on what that money can be spent on. 
right? Um, so, but as you as you do that, um, you know, your messaging would change towards those people. Um, you, you don't want to like, you don't want to upset like your initial customer base. Like you, you, I mean, like that they're they're the people that kind of put you in the place, right? So you still mm-hmm. want to make things for them, but you know, when to like break even, you have to find like um, other types of customers, and sometimes like those other types of customers have a different cost associated with them, right? Like think you're spending ads somewhere, maybe YouTube or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. Um, you know, for some types of customers, like it has a certain cost, right? Like I spend, I don't know, a few dollars, like $3 to get these. And maybe this one's $10 or $50 or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, different kinds of costs and newspapers have this too, by the way, like there's lots of industries that have this, um, just you, you, you have a very, you have a certain type of user. That's your initial one. And then, for you to get to the point of this break even, you have to like find maybe, you know, things, they're not like, you know, diametrically opposed, but like things are a bit different than this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the messaging has to change. Um, anything you want to know more about that? Or? Yeah, there's there's something that that you kind of glossed over a little bit that that I wouldn't mind getting a little deeper into because I know there's a lot of product builders here. Like you you kind of distinctly mentioned there's a difference between the product and the cause. And also, um, I think you mentioned earlier on that you focused on the tech, not the the product. What do you think is the difference between, you know, in, in a nutshell, those three things and, and like, is there a focus early on and does that shift or, or do different people need to be in charge of different of those things or, yeah, uh, or just, maybe, want, maybe, yeah, go ahead. I just want to say one thing. So I, I forgot his name. Joel Skrepnik is the person that came on later on and kind of helped early on. Like, so Joel, Joel was a big part of it too. I, I don't want, I, I don't know why I can remember his name when we were talking, but I wanted to give him credit for a lot of stuff I co-host too. Um, cool. Okay. So, so you said, um, how do you, how do you decide to like, product like cause and tech? What's right. the difference? Um, okay. Um, okay. So think of, think of, for example, like how, at least, at least how I go about like making a product, right? Like I think some people feel is you just make it up, right? I just make something up and I just go try it. Right. You can do that. I've tried it. It usually you'll be unhappy in a couple of years because you're wasting your time. Maybe you get lucky. Like, I've seen some people get lucky. So what I often do is I go into an industry and but it's often like something interests me about that, right? Like for example, um, let's pick one, right? I'll go, I'll get interested in online video. And I've, I've been interested in online video since the 90s when it, it barely was there, right? Um, mm-hmm. but I get interested in online video and you know, maybe like, okay, I, I I watch YouTube, for example, and I understand myself. Let me talk to some other people that watch YouTube. And there's people I know, I'll ask for others because I, I want people different than me, right? Like I, I tend to example, for example, watch a lot of stuff where I learn things of specific topics I'm interested in, right? Um, most people don't, most people seem to watch video games. So I want to, I want to understand like, what are the different types of people that do this? And again, like I would call them archetypes, UX people call these personas, marketers would call these segments, but I want to understand that structure there. But then let's understand the rest of the industry. Let me talk to some people who make videos. Right. And I mean, uh, when I, when I was researching Twitch, um, one, one good way I learned that is there's a Twitch Vancouver meetup. I just showed up and I just started talking to people. Um, if you have trouble talking to people, either get over it or find someone who's not. Cause like you have to talk to people to figure this out. <laughs> I found out that some people, um, they, they, they're interested in making videos. They never did like streaming on Twitch. Some people tried it, but stop. Some people do it. Don't make any money. Some people do it, make a tiny bit of money, but it's not much. Some people make enough money to pay their bills. It's all, it's their only source of income, but it's not that great. Um, some people make a lot. Some people have a whole team. Some people like some of them are making like hundred, 200, 300,000 a month, not a year, a month. Right. That's very Pareto though. Like 0.001% of them make that. Right. Um, here's what I discovered. Those two type of people tend to have managers and talent agents and lawyers. 
I didn't know what those things are. Like, like I know, I know the word manager, but what does a manager do in here? What does a talent agency do? Right. And I went and discovered that. And I started talking to people in the, um, you know, in the advertising space that connects this and et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I, I started to map out like how this whole industry works. Right. And I mean, you can spend months doing this, right. And, and, like really, like if you have a company, you should be doing this on an ongoing basis. You shouldn't stop because industries change over time. Like for example, with Hootsuite, the industry has changed. It's not the same. Um, I'm I'm not at Hootsuite, but like, you know, you know when I'll say this: when Streamlabs was before it got purchased, if I was Hootsuite, I would have bought them. Like things shifted to video. It's too late now, right? Like it's it's already moved on. But if I was if I was in charge of Hootsuite at that time, when Streamlabs was small, I would have purchased them, right? Um, but anyways, um, you have, you need to keep on doing this kind of research, like this product research or industrial research or whatever you want to call it on an ongoing basis to let, to help that guide what your current products do and what new products you might make. Right. Okay. While I'm doing this, I'm also paying attention to stuff like these causes. Like why are people doing this? Why are they interested in this? Um, I mean, think, think of like, you know, the cryptocurrency space and now the NFT space or like the web three space, which is kind of like trying to do web type stuff, you know, using blockchains. But I mean, like the history of that seems to go back to, um, so I mean, at least the 1990s, but it's gone through rebranding. Like in, um, in the 1990s, people talked about the content addressable web. And then eventually the, that got replaced by P2P. And then that got replaced by distributed web or distributed internet and then the centralized web. And then, you know, I think it's D web now, right. It, it, and then now there's web three. Um, and I mean, like there, there's two kind of, um, I'd say significant camps right now in that space. There is the Web3 camp, and I'll ignore Web5 right now. I mean, the name's kind of ridiculous, but whatever. Um, but And there's also the Fediverse. And that kind of cause, like there's, there's some people, and I'm not saying everyone has to accept this, there's some people that, I mean, some of them either were there or they kind of long for what they've heard of it. They're kind of longing for the internet of the 1990s when it was you know, kind of free speech, like you say what you want, right? Like, I don't have to listen to you, but like, you say what you want. And I don't have to amplify you. Um, and uh, it was, it was, it was smaller, like you, you tended to have more kind of real interactions with people. There wasn't the spying you have now, at least people didn't believe there was. Um, and there's kind of like different people who have, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like a tipping or not a tipping point, a spear point for kind of that sentiment, right? And Web3 is some of that. I mean, I, I, I like the community around Web3. Same thing with the Fediverse um, and some of the other ones, uh, smaller ones. Um, I mean, I, I, because I like have a you know, software engineering, pure science background, I, I have criticisms about the technology. I, I don't think you should stop. I mean, I, I think you should just improve the technology, mm-hmm. which is what's happening, right? Just same thing with everything else. But, um, um, but anyways, I mean, you discover the cause, right? Like, you don't make the cause. I mean, you, there are ways you can make a cause, by the way, but like, you usually discover that cause, right? Yeah. And, you know, like, if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, first thing is like, um, I think for a lot of people it'd be like, well, does, are you like, do you care about that cause? Right? Like it's much harder to focus on something if you don't care about it or you're even opposed to it. Right. Um, so like once you know it's the cause, like, okay, if you're into this, right. If it's something that like, maybe you've never thought of it, or maybe you have, you just never called it, you know, web three or decentralization or the Fediverse or, I mean, there's other space like the gem space and there's a lot of smaller ones. Um, if you've never kind of, um, if, if you've had that sentiment yourself, but maybe not given it that labels, maybe it's attractive to you. Maybe it draws you into there, right? In a sense, you're kind of drinking your own Kool-Aid, but I mean, 
like I said, like I, I think people are driven by causes. They're driven by narratives and stories, whether they're true or not, right? But like that motivates a lot of people. Um, okay, so you research it to understand the structure of an industry. You map out like these different archetypes and other things and like processes. You dis- you discover their wants, needs, and problems. You try to build products and features for those things. You also discover these causes, right? These causes can motivate you to be there, but it also affects uh, how you interact with your audience, your customers, right? Um, but th- these are discovered. Um, does that answer your question? You want me? Or yeah. You want me like, do you do you think there's a a linear path of like you find the cause first and then you build the product, or sometimes the product comes first and then you find a cause later? Um, um, I think it can go either way. Um, but I, my experience is you usually figure out causes as you're trying to map out the industry. Like, gotcha. like, you know, like, like, I mean, like some of it's like very informal, like I show up to events, like, like I say, I want to talk to someone. I just try to find anyone. Okay. Let me give you an example. Like I've been to Korea a whole bunch of times. Right. Um, and like, I actually, I was, someone was talking to me about like how I did this and stuff like that. And they, they kind of assumed like I knew people. <laughs> I knew no one in Korea. Absolutely no one. I don't speak Korean at all. I just kind of showed up. And here's a, here's a technique I tried. And this technique actually works everywhere except Korea because the, the culture is a little different. Um, so what I've usually done when I've traveled is I find co-working spaces, right? Like places where, you know, entrepreneurs or like freelancers, they, uh, they work at, right? They, they just get a desk and work together because there's a whole bunch of people. And I email them and I say, hey, I'm going to be in town between this day and this date. I'm looking to talk with anyone, you know, in tech. Um, and maybe if I'm an interested in, like, let's say I'm interested in esports or, um, I don't know, NFTs or fintech or whatever the new hotness is. I mean, there's always a new hotness. Like I'll mention those. Like, like I say, well, would you be willing to talk to me? And is, is there anyone else you think I, I should talk to? And almost everywhere except Korea, almost everywhere, the person has met with me. And some of these places, they had other people lined up to talk to me. And whenever I talk to these people, like I, I talk to them, and in the end, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out like the industry and all this other stuff. I also asked them, like, hey, is there anyone else you think I should talk to? And I was like, you know, like even three people, and I'll mention someone. I'm like, can you introduce me? Right. I think what happens, I get with one person, or I talk to one person, I get three more. And then each of those three introduce me to three, I get nine more. Right. And then each of those introduce me, like, I get 20, like 27 more. Like, like, you know, in a week, you've talked to a lot of people if, you, if you've done this. Right. Um, Korea, this does not work. Um, so in, uh, in Korea, the culture is kind of like the Vancouver culture, it's more extreme. Right. Like, like if you talk to people from South America or from uh, Southern Europe that come over here, one thing they'll say is that people in Canada are very polite to you. They're very nice to you, but they're not friendly. Right. Um, it's really, really hard to make friends here. Right. Like a lot of people, like if, if you ask people to hang out, they're very weary about it. They usually have a certain kind of inner circle. If you're in the inner circle, they're your best friend. They'll do anything for you. They'll, they treat you like a brother or sister. Right. But if you're not, they're, they're very weary about letting new people in there. Um, Korea is like that, but more extreme. Um, and I'll give you an example. Like, let's, let's say, for example, like you're tying your shoe and you're having trouble. Someone will come help you. I, I saw this. But if you want to talk to the person for a bit, a lot of them won't talk to you. Um, <laughs> that's, that's more true of Seoul than the countryside. Like, um, so, I, so um, I mean, nowadays, I, I spend a lot of time in Korea. My, my wife's Korean. Um, but I was going to Korea before I met her. I actually met her here. I didn't, I didn't meet her in uh, Korea. Um, but uh, so, I mean, I've, I have a lot of exposure to Korean culture now. Um, but back then, like I, you know, I hadn't met her yet. I was going to Korea and, uh, I just, it's different. Like, it's very, very different. You can't just go talk to you. Like, you know, like over here, I could go to a comp like a startup and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Charles, I'm, I'm in tech, I'm in tech, you know, I'm from whatever town. And, uh, you know, I just, 
like, is there like, I wouldn't mind talking to us, like, you know, some other people in tech, is there anyone here I could like have chat with? Right. And, you know, if I, if I went to Hootsuite, especially when it, like, when I was there, like you, there would have been someone there that would come like had lunch with you or just met up with you. Maybe not right then, but like, like during that week. Right. I went over to like tech companies in Korea. They were, they were very shocked that I would even ask that. Right. Like, I mean, they, uh, here's the one They're, they have a, this place that, that you can go to if you're uh, just anyone, right. I think it's called Google for startups or, like Google supports it, but it's like this um, yep. free workspace. I can remember that. And I, and I went there and like, you can work there. It's great. And I, I asked the people at the desk, I was like, Hey, because they got an incubator. I was like, Hey, could you introduce me to people at incubator? Right. Like, remember like, like when I, uh, when we got a desk at like launch, right. Yeah. Um, you know, like I was introduced to everyone. I asked to get introduced to people like, like, no, you can't, their, their, their answer was no. Like, why would you even want that? So I, was like, <laughs> I don't know. Just want to meet people like and i asked that in multiple places like there was um there's this very large like high rise that the government i think the government in korea pays for for startups and i went to the person at desk like hey uh could you uh i'm you know from canada i'm, I'm in tech like uh could uh would you mind introducing me to some of the people here and, like he was just shocked that i would be asked that right like why would you want to talk to people like i don't know like <laughs> but, you, but you can do that in here in vancouver <laughs> yeah you can do it in vancouver you can do vancouver like korea is the only place to work like what happens now is my wife goes and talks to people and she she's able to kind of culturally bridge the gap it's just those are not accept like culturally accepted things in korea um mm -hmm. where they they are like they are in europe they are in north america it's just they're not there and it, it might not be just korea i mean i haven't tried it in japan i haven't tried it in china it might be something just broad more broadly cultural but um because like i mean my both like my experience in korea and now my you know like my family is like half korean yeah, um, my wife's Korean, but um, like um, I, I have a lot of connection with Korea now. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So I want to make sure we we leave a little time for this. Um, I wanted to talk about Railtown. Yep. What what's your cause there? What what are you trying to build there? And how how does this kind of in, in you know two minutes or less? Like how does it work? Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So if you think back to Coho, I think Coho was the either eleventh or twelfth company I, I created. Um, or help create with uh, Dan and Scott and Joel and others. Um, so um, whenever I, I created a company, I always, you know, did a single company at a time. And, you know, when you build a company, you don't know whether it's going to be a success or not. And for me, success is not salary. Like salary isn't hard. I mean, once, once you've worked for a while, you can get a job pretty easily. If that's all you wanted, like making a startup is a lot harder than having a job. You would have a much easier life having a job, right? First thing, you're probably going to get paid either I mean, it depends how early you get on. If you're founding it, you're probably getting paid nothing at first, right? You're living off your savings. Um, when Railtown started, I lived off my savings for 14 months and paid different bills for the company. Um, so you're probably living off your savings for a while, maybe even spending money. Um, eventually you get paid, like when you get some investors, you're not going to pay yourself well. And you're probably going to work really, really hard, right? Like I think with Railtown right now, and it's less than it, it was before because I have a kid now, right? And I have another kid on the way up my... Uh, I have another kid, a girl that's due to be born in October. Congrats. Um, I, thank you. Um, I'm now work. I think I'm working about 81 hours a week. Right. And I know this cause I, I count it sometimes because my wife complains sometimes, but, um, anyways, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. You, you get work a lot, you get paid low, sometimes nothing. And what's the reward? Reward is that you might eventually make a significant amount of money, a life changing amount of money, right? Like at the very least you want to make, you want to make up what you didn't make in revenue. Like, let's say you're getting paid a fourth of what you normally get paid, right? Well, I'd like to get that back. I'd like to make that back. Plus, I didn't do it just for that. I could have just wanted to get a job if I wanted the money, right? 
I want to get paid multiples of that back, right? And um, for me, that's success. But the problem is when you do a startup, you think it's going to work out, but you never know. And you don't know until like five, seven, 10 years later, right? I mean, Hootsuite, I'm still waiting for my payout, right? Like, I mean, that was like 10 years ago. It started, right? I haven't got payout. Coho, I've gotten some money from. Uh, actually, Hootsuite, that's not true. Like Hootsuite, I got a little money early on. Um, but um, I like the large amount, like I'm, I'm still waiting for, right? So it can take a while, right? Um, and the idea with Railtown was that if I can create multiple companies, I can execute them on them well, then it increases the probability that I'll get a success, right? So that that's the idea behind um, Railtown. And, you know, at the time we were thinking like, you know, there's an opportunity to do something kind of like St what Stanley Park Ventures did, you know, when they created Coho, like in terms of bringing up entrepreneurs. Um, what it ended up being is that we ended up hiring like a whole bunch of people and just kind of like doing it that way. I'm not saying it has to be that way. Like we have talked about partnering with some people and there are, there are some talks actually right now, but what ended up being was that a lot of the stuff we created um, were just kind of stuff we researched ourselves. And then we either like, like, for example, like I'm involved with Spark, right? It's, it's doing video technology and video commerce and all this stuff. Um, but so like one of us would, one or more of us would get involved with the company and kind of operate it um, or we'd hire people to do it, um, which is, I mean, it wasn't, why I expect initially, uh, but it ended up being what it was. Um, that's the basic idea. Do you want, do you want to know more? Or? Yeah. Like I think, I think importantly, I think guests want to know like what types of companies are you building? Who do you work with? Um, what types of people are you looking to connect with? Yeah. So um, I mean, like the way we kind of a company comes about is someone goes and research it. Like, like I mentioned, like, you know, you go into an industry, figure it out, look for opportunities. And it usually has to be something that, somehow we discovered an opportunity or someone got interested in it. Right. And I mean, is that someone internally or someone externally? Uh, so far it's been internally. Um, okay. Like we, we do have people who have researched that like, like right now we're in talks with, I think it's four different people, four different groups. Um, so it, it, when it's external, it's someone that's, you know, figured out the industry themselves started to do something, but they need help. Right. And I mean, it's the same thing like think like Stanley Park Ventures. It's just people that are kind of very early on. This is some people that are maybe a little more experienced, but they need help. It's often like they need technical help, sometimes product help. Mm -hmm. And, but they, they're able to, like they have the connections and they have the sales set up and we'd come in and partner with them um, and then help that happen, right? So for example, like, um, I don't want to, I can't give exa like specific examples, but I'm, I'm going to try to talk vaguely so I can talk about, like, mm -hmm. let's say you, you've researched some industry and you say, okay, well, I've got like, you know, these kind of big companies lined up as salespeople and they like this idea of this technology made. The only problem is like, I don't know how to build it. I, I tried mm -hmm. engaging with like, you know, consultants and like they never worked out and they'd come to us. And the first thing they usually think they need is the technology. It's like, we need help to develop technology. What we usually discover with like most people, right, is you actually need help like figuring out what this product is, right? You need to research this a bit more. And it's not surprising. I mean, like, Product is, um, I mean, actually, it wasn't always called product, but what's now called product, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something you have to do. And um, you, you often need a skill of product that a junior product person probably wouldn't have. Like, you need someone to go do that research. Um, and that's not something everyone else had to do. So, you know, they'll come to us, we'll, we'll go help them do that research, help them figure out, okay, well, this is actually what your product needs to be, right? And we, mm -hmm. we bring them along. We don't just, like, dictate to them. We, we kind of, we have the experts to go do that. We we bring them along with the journey. And then once it gets to the point that um, 
you know, they, they decide, okay, well, let's, let's build this thing. Right. And then we, we do that for them. Right. Um, now, usually when we do these kind of deals, it's a mix of both money and equity. Right. So, I mean, you know, we, 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 we sit there and we support the person, like one person right now we've been helping and they're in the process of raising uh, to pay for the development. Right. So we help them define the product and now they're raising, we know, we know it can take a while. Right. Like, I mean, I've been through this tons of times. I know what it's like. And then the process of raising, and once they're able to raise enough, then we start development. Um, gotcha. So that, that's when we work with other people. Um, some people approach us. Um, a lot of times it's through someone's met us, like someone involved with the company somewhere. And then they get interested, and we have meetings and you know, stuff like that. So a lot of times the people inside of Real Towns are like, I wouldn't say sales, but like almost like advertisements, right? Like people somehow meet us or talk to us and they get interested in it. And then, you know, it turns into a business relationship. Internally, it's just, you know, it just depends on the people. Like someone gets interested in an area and starts focusing on it and figuring out. And then, you know, you talk to the other people in the company and if everyone agrees, not everyone, but like if the people who are involved in those decisions, you know, think it's a worthy thing of pursuing, then, you know, we, we set aside budget money for it. Um, so, I mean, we have like monthly budgets. And it's like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then we're going to need, you know, these people. And if they're, if these are new people we have to hire, that has a cost associated with it. So we need to have, you know, X amount of money every month to support this. Right. And we might say, okay, well, we'll give us a shot for like six months, a year, two years, like whatever it is. And we'll reevaluate after that point to see if it makes sense to keep on. If it doesn't, we might drop it. Um, we have dropped projects we've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it looks promising, then we just keep on going with it. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. And then, so how many, uh, approximately how many projects are you guys got ongoing at the moment? Oh God. Um, <laughs> you should ask me ahead of time so I can count. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the biggest is, um, so Sparks, Sparks one of the biggest and Fun mm-hmm. Never is the other biggest. Um, so Spark is an internal thing where, like I said, we're making video technology, video commerce technology. A lot of it is towards businesses. Like we have partnerships with some companies to provide the technology that they include in their apps and other things. Um, so, so one one thing about video is, say you want to deal with live video. I'll just give you an example, of like kind of one of our product offerings. Um, say say you want to do live video. Um, sorry, just give me a sec. Um, Um, say, say you want to say you want to do a uh, live video and you want to stream it like traditionally what you do is you stream it through a central server, right? That is very, very expensive to do. Like if, if you do this, like in a professional settings, you're probably paying a five figure amount per month, right? So tens of thousands of dollars, 20,000, 30,000, like whatever it is, depends on how many audience you have, right? Um, there was a, there was a technology I made back in the 1990s that basically made the cost go away. I mean, it didn't make it go away, but it made it cheaper, made it trivial, right? Um, we, like when I did this in the 1990s, like networks were too slow. The internet was too slow. Like it just, it was too early, but now it's not. So we created this, we recreated this technology um, that I came up with like back in the 1990s. And we've gotten rid of that cost. And there is a market for people who want to do video, but can't afford paying five figure amounts. Now they can't afford to pay it for other things, right? Like let's say for example, like you do sales through like a video session, right? Uh, we can take a cut of that. Right. Especially if we provide all the infrastructure for that, like things like what Stripe does and other things. Um, so that 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 company focuses on um, doing stuff with businesses, either like enterprises or uh, 
I mean, they could be enterprise, but like companies that want to integrate your technology in theirs, right? So we're, we're kind of mostly behind the scenes. Uh, we do mm-hmm. have our own kind of like customer facing products coming up, but uh, those haven't been launched yet just because for us, um, I mean, it's just kind of turned out this way. Like dealing with businesses directly is, is in kind of like an easy path to being lucrative, right? Like companies can pay you a lot, right? You get like an enterprise mm-hmm. account, it can be like five figure amounts like per month, right? So get a few of those and all of a sudden you're making, I mean, especially if you're small, like, like it's like a whole bunch of profit like right away, right? Um, yeah. So that's what that's doing. Fund Never is focused. Uh, so Fund Never is through a partnership. It, it's not something that's conceived of solely internally. Um, so Fund Never is uh, focused on the real estate industry. And I mean, there's lots of parts of the real estate industry, right? Like, like say you're a developer. It's, that's the type of, I mean, from our parallels and text, they'd be, you're an investor, right? And you want to build a, um, a hotel or a high rise or something like that. Um, okay. So you got to get some land and you're probably like, either it's zoned properly or you're going to spend time and bribe people to get zoned to whatever you want. And then you, you need so much money to build it. Right. And, um, you're going to like, let's say, I'm just going to make up numbers. These aren't real numbers. Let's say, let's say it costs, um, I don't know, $10 million to build this and you only have, um, 8 million or no, let's say, sorry, let's, let's say you only have 1 million, right? Well, the bank might like, you might go to a bank or someone else and say, well, I'll give you the money, but I'm only going to give you 8 million. I'm not going to give you 9 million, right? You only have 1 million. So you need to go find someone, another million, right? So you have 2 million and I'll give you the eight and then you have the 10, right? And, um, so that's, that's a loan, that's debt, right? And they have a product around that. And the other part is you might say, okay, well, okay, where did I get money from? Well, I need an investor in this thing, like another investor, like a partner. And that's equity. So you go find someone who, they don't give you a loan. And because the loan has like, I give you this much money, you give me this plus a fixed amount back, right? Like, you know, you know what it is. Like, it's a, like most developers want loans, right? A developer says, well, I'll give you, like, I'll give you a million, but I want a percentage, right? So, I mean, if you make more profit, I get more. The bank doesn't, right? But the bank takes less risk. Um, so there's like another product, right? And I mean, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a whole bunch of products around this. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's, sure. it, it's basically, it's covering the entire flow of kind of making, uh, you know, like, like if you want to do developments, right? You want to build a hotel, you want to build a high rise, you want to build an apartment building. Like there is a whole suite of things you have to worry about, right? Like if you're, if you're a big company, you, you don't have to worry about as much, but if you're mid-tier and like most people are mid-tier, Right, it's not easy doing this, and a lot. What the, the the bottleneck for a lot of these companies is that they can't get enough money to build fast enough. Because the more money they get, the faster they build, and the more money they make. Right, and their their bottleneck is like having the support, having the funds come in. I mean, there, there's some things like if a person doesn't qualify for money, let's say from a bank, sometimes the things you can help them with to qualify them. Right, of course, like the, you know, you have to make it in. There's going to be a cost to them. I mean, it's it's not like a bad cost, but like you know, if we do this and we help you out this way, well. You might have to give us like certain percentage or something like that. Awesome. Um, sorry, anyways, we're, we're just, we're running short on time. So, so I want to make sure, sorry to cut you off. Um, but I want to make sure like if people want to connect with you, how, how can they do that? Um, okay. You can probably the easiest is Twitter, um, twitter.com slash Reaver, R E I V E R. Um, I'm also on, uh, Mastodon. So mastodon.social slash ampersand or the ampersand R E I V E R Reaver also. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. If you just search my name, Charles Elia Krempel, actually just type in my last name, K R E M M as in mom, P as in Paul, E A U X. Um, I'll come up. Um, yeah, those awesome. are probably the easiest ways. 
Awesome. And what, what should they connect with you about? Like what topics are you interested in these days? I know we mentioned video a couple of times. Um, um, real estate. I, I'm interested <laughs> in lots of stuff. I mean, if you want to talk to me about mythology or Egyptology, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Um, behavioral sciences. Um, my formal background is computer science, mathematics, and a bit of physics. Um, I've done lots of stuff in tech, engineering, product management, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it. Um, are you still running the, the machine learning meetups, by the way? I paused when I had a group. So I, I, I ran them for about a decade and mm -hmm. uh, I stepped back. I think Dan Mazur is running a lot of it now. Uh, he, he's a friend mm -hmm. of mine. Um, he, he's, mm -hmm. he's been in the community for quite a while. Um, but I, I paused it. I'm having, I have one kid now. I have another on the way. We're probably gonna have at least three, maybe four, if I can miss my wife. Um, <laughs> do, do I need so to I, cut I, this part out for, for your no, wife? No, no, no. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, but I, I think that, um, I think I'll probably won't be organizing for seven years again. I mean, I, I did it for Fair. 10, right? So, Fair enough. Um, I'm just, just in a different phase of my life. Fair enough. Awesome. Charles, I really appreciate your time, man. I, I wish we, uh, we'd set apart two hours for this, but, but, you know, going down story lane, going down history, I think it's, it's awesome. Um, for those of you folks that are listening that are in Vancouver, like Charles, as you can tell, has, has been a pillar of this community. He's, he's seen it all, right? Like we, we talked about what, five different industries during the span of this last hour. Um, so, so definitely if, if you're, if you're in technology, if you're building product, um, connect with Charles. Um, it's very easy to do so through through launch. Uh, Charles has been a great supporter of us, um, uh, great mentor for a lot of our companies since since pretty much the beginning. If I'm being honest with you, um, um, but um, yeah, if you're if you're listening to this publicly and you want to learn more, like feel free to go to launchacademy.ca/launchpad um, and see how you can become a member. Um, and if you're listening to this live um, and you want to connect with Charles after, just give me a heads up, and I'm happy to patch you through. Thank you so much, Charles, again, for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody else that's listening here live. Um, we'll be back again really soon. And, and I'm looking forward to catching up with everybody more. All right. Great talk to you. Take care now. Bye. Bye now. This episode was part of the Launch Academy Network of Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. While you're here, we hope you can check out the other Launch Academy podcasts, Bits and Bytes, and Founder Journey. If you're interested in joining these talks live and learning more about what Launch Academy does, go to launchacademy.ca. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Launch Academy HQ. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.